Chapter 8 Zantia guided the sphere with her rigid hand. The glimmer moon hung low in the night sky, painfully bright yet providing little illumination for the land below. A dark ridge loomed to the south. On the other side of that ridge, there was a familiar cottage with two front doors and the bed in which she expected to be sleeping before midnight. It was a clear night reminiscent of winter. The air was dead calm and freezing within the sphere. Her feet had been quietly numb since sundown. Beside her, Rat hadn't said a word since the first stars appeared. She hoped he was asleep. And perhaps he was, but he awoke when the sphere pitched forward and plummeted toward a black mirror lake Zancha hadn't noticed. He'd had nearly two weeks to learn when to tuck his head and keep his terror to himself, but in the dark, with food and whatnot tumbling around them, Zancha didn't begrudge Rat a moment of panic. In truth, she scarcely noticed his shouts. The plunge caught her unprepared. It was several moments before she heard anything other than her own heart's pounding. By then, Rat had reclaimed his perch atop the sacks. You could set us down for the night, he suggested. We're almost there. You said that at noon. It was true then, and it's truer now. We're almost to the cottage. Rat made an unhappy noise in the back of his throat. Zancha gave him a sidelong glance. Through the dim light, she could see that he'd hunched down in his cloak and pulled the cowl up so it formed a funnel around his face. She'd collected Rat's new clothes as she ferried Red Stripe survivors to the other effing villages. They were nothing like the clothes Mishra would have worn, nothing like the travel-worn silks and suede Zancha herself wore, but they were the best she'd been able to find, and Rat had seemed generally grateful for them. He cleaned up better than Zancha had dared hoped. Their first full day in the ruined village, while she'd been talking relocation with the elders, Rat had persuaded one of the women to trim his hair. He procured a handful of pumice the same way and spent the afternoon scrubbing himself and being scrubbed in the stream-fed pool where the women did laundry. You didn't have to bother the villagers, Zancha had told him when she'd seen him next, all pink and raw, especially on the chin. I could have loaned you my knife. He looked down at her, shaking his head and half-smiling. When you're old enough to grow whiskers, Zancha, you'll realize a man doesn't have to cut his own hair. Zancha had started to say that with or without whiskers, Rat would never be as old as she was, but that half-smile had confused her. Even now, when she couldn't see through the dark of the cowl, she suspected he was half-smiling again, and she didn't know what to say. Once washed and dressed in clothes that didn't reek, he'd proved attractive, at least to the extent that Zancha understood mortal handsomeness. Rat didn't resemble any of Zancha's antiquity war portraits, and there was a generosity to him that softened the other hard lines of his face. Rat had healed almost as fast as a newt. His bruises were shadows now, and the sores around his neck, wrists, and ankles shrank daily. Every morning had seen a bit more flesh on his bones, a bit more swagger in his stride. He'd become Mishra, charming, passionate, unpredictable, and vaguely dangerous. Kayla bin Krug would have known what to say. Kayla had known what to say to Urza's brother, but Zancha wasn't Urza's wife, and anyway, Rat thought of her as a boy, a deception that, all other things considered, Zancha thought she might continue after they returned to the cottage, if Urza cooperated. She touched his shoulder gingerly. Don't worry, we'll be there tonight. Rat shrugged her hand away. The cow fell, and she could see his face faintly in the moonlight. He wasn't smiling. Tonight or tomorrow morning, what difference can it make? Urza's waiting. It's been more than a month since I left. I've never been gone this long. You'll be gone forever if you don't stop pushing yourself. Even if he were the real Urza, he'd tell you to rest before you hurt yourself. Rat didn't know Urza. Urza was inexhaustible, indestructible. He assumed Zancha was too, and so usually did she. We're almost there. I'm not tired, and I don't need to rest. 
The words were no sooner said than the sphere caught another downdraft. Not as precipitous as the first one, but enough to fling them against each other. You're making mistakes. You know nothing about this, Zancha shot back. She tilted her hand too far, overcorrected it, and wound up in Rat's lap. He pushed her away. What more do I need to know? Put it down! I didn't argue with you when you said those villagers needed to be rescued. I'm not arguing with you. I know you want me to meet Urza. You think there's a, not a moment to lose against the Phyrexians, but not like this, Zancha. This is foolish. It's foolish as buying me in the first place. Only I can't help you keep this damn thing in the air. Right. You can help. So be quiet. And he was. As quiet as he'd been in the first night out of Medrin. Zancha hadn't believed it was possible, but Rat's silence was worse than Urza's, because Rat wasn't ignoring her. He wasn't frightened either, just sitting beside her, a cold, blank wall, even when she pushed the sphere against the wind. There were moments when she could believe that Rat was Urza's real brother. You don't have to be Mishra. Not yet. Another of Rat's annoyed, annoying noises. I'm not being Mishra. Mishra wouldn't care if you killed yourself getting him to Urza, and if you asked me, the real Urza wouldn't either. The real Urza didn't care about anything except what he wanted. The way you're acting, I'm starting to think you believe what you've been telling me. It's all over your face, Zancha. You're the one who's worried because you're afraid. More afraid of the man you call Urza, I think, than of any Phyrexian. It was Zancha's turn to stare at the blank ridge on the southern horizon and convince herself that Rat was wrong. The ridge was beneath them before she broke the silence. You don't believe anything I've told you. It's pretty far-fetched. But you've come all this way with me. There were so many times when I was ferrying the villagers about that you could have run away, but you didn't. I thought you decided I was telling you the truth. Why did you stop trying to run away if you didn't believe anything I said? Because six months ago, I would have sworn on my life that I'd never get to leave Effin Pincher. That was some half-wit boy who's got a thing in his belly. I've sworn a lot of things in the last six months, and I've been wrong about all of them. I'm getting used to being wrong. And I did give you my word freely when you agreed to get those villagers to safety that I'd play your game. You weren't paying attention, but I was. You saved them because I asked you to, and that makes you my friend, at least for now. You've got to believe, Rat. If you don't believe, Urza won't, and I don't know what he'll do to either of us if he thinks I've tried to deceive him. I'll worry about Urza the Artificer, Rat said wearily. He was patronizing her. Despite everything she'd told him, all the lessons in language and history she'd given to him after dark in the village, Rat didn't believe. He continued, You worry about the shadow coming up. I think it's another lake. I think we're going to go rump over elbows again if you don't wriggle your hand around it. Rat was right about the lake. Zancha wove her hand to one side and another unpleasant moment was averted. It had taken her decades to learn the tricks that air could play on the sphere. Rat was quicker, cleverer than she'd ever been. There was a chance he was right about Urza, too, especially when she saw Eldritch Light leaking through the cottage windows after the sphere cleared the ridge. He's locked himself in, she muttered, unable to keep disappointment out of her voice. You didn't think he'd be waiting at the door, not in the middle of the night. A locked door isn't a bad idea if you're alone. You've got the sorcery to make it stick. Man gets tired, said Rat. Not Urza, Zancha said softly as the sphere touched down and collapsed. Without the sphere's skin to support them, their supplies rearranged themselves across the ground. It was quicker than the chaos they endured when the sphere tumbled through the air, but quite a bit more painful on the hard ground. A wooden box corner came down squarely on Zancha's cold ankle. She was still cursing when the eldritch locks vanished. Urza appeared in the doorway. Zancha! Where have... He noticed Rat. His eyes began to glow. Zancha hadn't considered the possibility that Urza might simply kill any stranger who appeared outside of his door. No! Zancha wanted to get herself between the two men, but her feet wouldn't cooperate. Urza, listen to me! She'd no sooner gotten Urza's attention than Rat rested it away with a single soft-spoken word. Brother.
every night in the village, Zancha had sat up with Rat, telling him about Urza and Urza's obsessions. She warned him that Urza's uncanny eyes, the tabletop where his gnats recreated, refined the scenes from Kayla's epic. She taught him the rudiments of the polyglot language, and she and Urza spoke when they were alone because it was rich in the words he shared with Mishra when they were both men. She taught him the word for brother and insisted he practice it until he got it right, but the word he said was pure effing dialect. For a moment, the space between them was dark as the space between the stars overhead. Then the golden light that had been in the cottage flowed from Urza toward Rat, who didn't flinch as it surrounded him. You wish to see me, brother, he continued in Effin. It's been a long, hard journey, but I've come back. Urza could absorb a new language as easily as a plowed field absorbed the spring rains. Most of the time, he didn't notice the switch, but Zancha had thought Urza might pay attention to Mishra's language, to the language that anyone pretending to be Mishra spoke during the critical first moments of their encounter. She was ready to kill Rat with her own hands, if Urza didn't do it for her. His eyes hadn't stopped glowing, and she'd seen those jewels obliterate creatures vastly more powerful than an overconfident slave from Effin Pincher. Speak to me, Urza. It's been so long. We never finished our last conversation, never truly began it. Where? Urza asked, a whisper on a cold, cold wind. At least he'd spoken Effin. Before the blood-red tent of the warlord of Krug, we stood as far apart as we stand now. You said we should remember that we are brothers. The tent was not red, and I said no such thing. Do you call me a liar, brother? I remember less, brother, but I remember very clearly. I have been here all the time, waiting for you. It would have been easier if your memory were not flawed. Urza's eyes took on the painful brilliance of the glimmer moon. Zancha was certain Rat would sizzle like raindrops in a bonfire, yet the light didn't harm him, and after a few rib-thumping heartbeats, she began to perceive Rat's unexpected brilliance. The real Mishra had been supremely confident and never, even in the best of times, willing to concede a point to his elder brother. Between Urza and Mishra, attitude was more important than language, and Rat had the right attitude. It is possible, Urza conceded, as his eyes dimmed to a mortal color. Each time I refine my automata, I learn what I had forgotten. It is a short step between forgotten and misremembered. Raising his hand, Urza took a hesitant stride toward Rat, toward Mishra. He stopped short of touching his putative brother's flesh. I dreamed that in time, through time, I'd find a way to talk to you, to warn you of the dangers neither of us saw when we were alive together. I never dreamed that you would find me. You, you, is it you, Mishra? Urza moved without moving, placing his open hand across Rat's cheek. Even Zancha, who knew Urza could change his shape faster than muscle could move bone, was stunned. As for Rat himself... Rat, who refused to believe her warnings that her Urza was the Urza who'd become more like a god than a man, he went deathly pale beneath Urza's long, elegant, and essentially lifeless fingers. His eye rolled and his body slackened. He'd fainted, but Urza's curiosity kept him upright. They took your skin, Mishra, and stretched it over one of their abominations. Do you remember? Do you remember them coming free? Do you remember dying? Rat's limp arms and legs began to tremble. Zancha's breath caught in her throat. She'd never believed that Urza was cruel, merely careless. He'd lived so long in his own mad isolation that he'd forgotten the frailties of ordinary flesh, especially of flesh more ordinary than that of a Phyrexian newt. She was certain that once Urza noticed what he was doing, he'd relent. He could heal as readily as he harmed. But Urza didn't notice what he was doing to the youth she'd brought from Effin Pincher. Rat writhered like a stuck serpent. Blood seeped from his nose. 
Zancha threw herself into the golden light. Stop! Zancha seized Urza's outstretched arm. She might have been a fly in a mountaintop for the effect she had. You're killing him! Suddenly Urza's arm hung at his side again. Zancha reeled backward, fighting for balance while Rat collapsed. There's nothing in his mind. I sought the answers that have eluded me. When did the Phyrexians come for him? Did he fight? Did he surrender willingly? Did he call mine? He has no answers, Zancha. He's nothing at all. My brother's mind is as empty as yours. I do not understand. I found you too late. The damage has already been done. But how and why has Mishra come back to me if he's not himself? If his mind is not alive with the thoughts I know should be there? Zancha knew her mind was empty. She was Phyrexians, a newt, engendered in a vat of turgid slime. She had no imagination, no great thoughts or ambitions, not even a heart that could be crushed by humiliation, whether that humiliation came from Urza or Gix. Rat was another matter. He lay face down in a heap of awkwardly bent limbs. He's a man, Zancha snarled. She caught her balance but kept her distance. Another step closer and she'd be a child looking up to meet Urza's eyes. She was too angry for that. His mind is his own. It's not a book for you to read and cast aside. Zancha couldn't guess whether Rat was still alive, even when Urza put his foot against the youth's flank to shove him onto his back. This is only the first. There will be others. The first is never final. There are always refinements. If I have learned nothing else, I have learned that. I was working in the wrong direction, thinking that I'd have to reach back through time to find Mishra and the truth, and because I was not looking for Mishra, he could not find me. Not as he must find me, but his truth will come to me once I have refined the path. I can see them, Zancha, a line of Mishras, each bearing a piece of truth. They will come and come until one of them bears it all. Urza headed to his open door. There is no time. He stopped and laughed aloud. Time, Zancha. Think of it. I finally have found a way to negate time. I will start again. Do not disturb me. He was mad, Zancha reminded herself, and she'd been a fool to think she could outwit him. Unlike Rat, Urza never changed his mind. He interpreted everything through the prism of his obsessions. Urza couldn't be held responsible for what happened. That burden fell on her. Zancha had never kept count of those she'd slain or watched die. Surely there were hundreds, thousands if she included Phyrexians, but she'd never betrayed anyone as she betrayed Ratipi, son of Medea. She knelt beside him, straightening his corpse, starting with his legs. Ratipi hadn't begun to stiffen, his skin was still warm. There will be no others, Urza turned around. What did you say? I said this was a man, Urza. He was a man born and living until you killed him. He wasn't an artifact on your table that you could sweep onto the floor when you were finished with him. You didn't make him... She hesitated, burdened with guilt. She saw that her clever plan to have Radipi pose as Mishra required confession. That tabletop didn't reach through the past. I went looking for a man who resembled your brother. I found him and I brought him here. I won't do it again, so there won't... You, Zancha! Don't speak nonsense. This is my brother, the first shadow of my brother. You could not have found him without me. I'm not speaking nonsense. You had nothing to do with this, Urza. This was my idea, my bad idea. His name was never Mishra. His name was Ratipi, son of Medea. I bought him from a slaver, an effing pincher. Urza appeared thunderstruck. Zancha leaned forward to straighten Ratipi's other leg. Effens buried their dead in grass-lined graves that faced the sunrise. She helped dig several of them. There was a suitable spot not far from her window where she'd see it easily and lament her folly each time she did. Unless she left, soared back to Effen Pincher to do battle with the Phyrexians in Rat's name. If the cyst would still respond to her whims, if Urza didn't destroy her when his thoughts finally made their way back to the world of life and death, she reached for Rat's crooked arm. A slaver? You sought my brother's avatar in a slaver's pen? 
avatar, a spirit captured in flesh. Zancha recognized the word, but had never consciously used it. It was the right word, though, for what she wanted Radipi to become. Yes, she straightened Radipi's elbow. Mishra was a Falaji slave. Mishra was an advisor to the Kadir. Mishra was a slave. The Falaji captured him before you got to Yosha. They never freed him, not formally. It's in the Antiquity Wars. He told Kayla, and she wrote down his words. Zancha had never told Urza about her chest filled with copies of his wife's epic. He hadn't asked, hadn't volunteered any sense of his past here in his home, except what arose from his tabletop artifacts. He didn't appear pleased to hear Kayla's name falling off of her tongue. Zancha sensed she was living dangerously, very dangerously. She took Radipi's hand. It was stiff. Rigor had begun. Gently, she uncurled his fingers. They resisted, tightened, squeezed. Before she could think, Zancha jerked her hand away or tried to. Radipi didn't let go, and she stayed where she was, kneeling beside him, breathless with shock. She looked down. He winked, then kept both eyes shut. Waste not, want not, she whispered and cast her glance quickly in Urza's direction, but Urza was elsewhere. I did not tell you to read that story. His voice came from a cold place far from his heart. Caleb bin Krug never knew the truth and did not write it either. She chose to live in a mist with neither light nor shadow to guide her. You cannot believe anything in the Antiquity Wars, Zancha, especially about Mishra. My wife saw her world through the veil of emotions. She saw people, not patterns, and when she saw my brother... He didn't finish his thought but offered another. She didn't mean to betray me. I'm sure she thought she could bring the bridge between us. It was too late. I honored Harbin, but after that, it was all lies between us. I couldn't trust her. You can't either. Before Zancha could say that Kayla's version of the war made more sense, Atapi sat bolt upright. I've heard it said there's no way a man can be absolutely certain that his wife's child is his and only one way he can be certain that is not. Kayla bin Krug was an attractive woman, Urza, and wiser than you'll know. She did try to become a bridge, but not with her body. She was tempted. I made certain she was tempted, but she never succumbed, which my brother begs one almighty question. How and why are you so certain Harbin was not your son? Suddenly, they were all in darkness as Urza's golden light vanished. You've done it now, Zancha said softly and with a little more admiration. She'd never gotten the better of Urza that way. He's gone, walking. But Urza hadn't walked away, and when the light returned, it flow from an Urza that Zancha had never seen before, a youthful Urza, dressed in a dirt laborer's dusty clothes, and smiling as he reached out to take Radipi's hands. I have missed you, brother. I've had no one to talk to. Stand up, stand up. Come with me. Let me show you what I've learned while you were gone. It was Ashnod, you know. Radipi proved he was as consistent as he was reckless. He folded his arms across his chest and stayed where he was. You've had Zancha. He's not no one. Zancha? While Urza laughed, Zancha got to her feast. Z Zancha! I rescued Zancha a thousand years ago. No longer than that. More than three thousand years ago. Don't be fooled by appearance as I was. She's a Phyrexian cooked up in one of their vats. A mistake. A failure. A slave. They were getting ready to bury her when I came along. Thought she was Argivian at first. She's loyal. To me. She's got her own reasons for turning on Phyrexia, but her mind is limited. You can talk to her, but only a fool would listen. Zancha couldn't meet Rat's eyes. When they were alone and Urza belittled her, she could blame it on his madness. Now there were three of them standing outside the cottage. Urza wasn't talking to her, he was talking about her, and there were no excuses. All their centuries together, all their experiences, no one had, else had shared, and he'd never conquered his distrust, his disdain. I, I think, Ratpi began, and Zancha forced herself to catch his attention. She mouthed the single word, don't. 
It didn't matter what Urza thought of her so long as he stopped playing with his tabletop gnats. Zancha mouthed a second word, Phyrexia, and made a fist where Ratapi could see it. She hoped she told him what mattered and that it wasn't her. Ratapi cleared his throat. He said, I think it's not the time to argue, Urza, and made the words sound sincere. We've always done too much of that. I always did too much of that. There, I've admitted it, and the world did not end. Not yet. Not again. You think we made our fatal mistake on the plains of Kor. I think we made it earlier. After so long, it doesn't matter, does it? It was only the same mistake either way. We couldn't talk. We could only compete, and you won. I see the weak stone in your left eye. Have you heard it singing to you, Urza? Sing? Anyone who've read the Antiquity Wars would know that Urza's eyes had once been his might stone and his brother's weak stone. Tonos had brought that scrap back to Kayla. Ratapi claimed he'd read Kayla's epic several times, and between two stones and two eyes, he could have made a lucky guess. The weak stone had, indeed, become Urza's left eye, but sing? Urza had never mentioned singing. Zancha couldn't guess what had fired Ratapi's all-too-mortal imagination, but as Urza frowned and stared at the stars, she guessed it had propelled him too far. Then Urza began to speak. I hear it now, faintly without word, but a song of sadness. Your song? Zancha was stunned. Urza continued. The stone we found, the single stone, was a weapon, you know. The final defense of the Thran, their last sacrifice. They blocked the portal to Phyrexia. You and I, when we sundered the stone, we opened the portal. We let them back into Dominaria. I never asked you what you saw that day. Rat grinned. Didn't I say we made our mistakes much earlier? Urza clapped his hand together and laughed heartily. You did! Yes, you did! We've got a second chance, brother. This time we'll talk. He opened his arms, gesturing toward the open doorway. Come, let me show you what I've learned while you were gone. Let me show you the wonders of artifice, pure artifice. Brother, none of those Phyrexian abominations. And Ashnod, wait until I show you Ashnod, a viper at your breast, brother. She was their first conquest, your biggest mistake. Show me everything, Ratapi said, walking into Urza's embrace. Then we'll talk. Arm in arm, they walked toward the cottage. A few steps short of the threshold, Rat shot a glance over his shoulder. He seemed to expect some gesture from her, but Zancha, unable to guess what it should be, simply stood with her arms limp at her sides. And when we're done talking, Urza, we'll listen to Zancha. The door shut without a sound. The light was gone, and Zancha was left with only moonlight to help her haul the food supplies.